I am a, what I tell people all the time, I was a CEO of people pleasing. <laughs> I really do. Like that's my title. Like now it's not like, but for years, I'm 34. I think I finally figured out how not to people please at like 32. So that goes to show you, like, even as a child, like every choice and decision I made, I needed like some type of approval. Or if somebody told me no, that that didn't work or that wouldn't work, I would go against what I thought and go with what they said. Hello and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. Each week, my guests and I share our vulnerable behind the scenes stories of giving ourselves permission to take off our masks, let go of our expectations and embrace our own path of freedom and authentic connection. I'm your host, Bianca Hughes, a lover of authenticity and a licensed professional counselor in Georgia. Hello and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. I am so glad you are joining me on the podcast today. So today I have a guest on the show. This is episode 50 of the podcast. And I just want to give you guys a heads up. We are talking about some of the subjects, shall I say, or one of the subjects is a sensitive subject. It is a subject of suicide. So I want to put that out there, but it is about overcoming in case anyone doesn't want to listen to this or maybe a trigger for some people. So if it is, please go ahead and stop listening. If you want to continue to listen and you find out it's too much, please, as always, please stop. I want to make sure you're taking care of your mental and emotional needs. However, I will say one of the reasons I am talking about this is one of the things we learned in grad school, which was really interesting to me, is that when it comes to suicide, the best thing to do is talk about it and not brush it under the rug. Because the more we talk about it, the more it comes alive and people are able to share if they are having suicidal thoughts. So just something to think about. So my guest today is Bianca Danielle. I know my namesake. She is a brand with many facets from transformational speaking, mental health advocacy, and nonprofit. Her mission within her brand is to bring things that are seen as taboo into a more comfortable community where individuals are able to speak, educate, and commune together for the greater good of their mental, spiritual, and physical health. Bianca is the founder of Crying Voice Project, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is compelled and charged to eliminate suicide and bullying through rehabilitation, education, and family support. She is also the author of the profound book, Can You Hear Me Now?, that has helped drive the movement of breaking the silence and sharing the memoirs of overcomers who have suffered. It provides people with a lens into what it's like to live free with mental health. As a survivor, Bianca is also an advocate for changing and healing. So let's go ahead and get into the conversation. So hello, Bianca, and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. (laughs) Glad to have you. And just so everybody knows, there are two Biancas here today. So, and they're spelled exactly the same. 
I was like, I'm not really met anybody who has the exact same spelling and they normally botch my spelling up. So I was glad to meet you. And like, they spell my name all sorts of ways other than I feel like ours is the correct way. It is the correct way. It is totally. No, it's B-E-O-N. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, that's Bianca. Like, our name is Bianca. Like, yes, respect, put some respect on our name. So I'm glad to have met somebody who actually spells their name properly. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. So, yeah, so no one, but it's easy. You don't have to get us confused because she has the American accent and I have the English. So, great. <laughs> so, my favorite question for everybody is what does authenticity mean for you? I think it's just living in who you are unapologetically accepting all that comes with you, whether it's positive, negative, you know, in the past, stuff that you haven't prepared yourself for is basically just living in you. Like, I don't really know how else to be but my authentic self since I've, you know, kind of revamped and I found who I actually am. You know, I think it's also just being authentic is not living for anybody else but yourself and knowing that your, your purpose will align you with who you need to be with so that you don't feel like you have to be somebody else. Oh, I love that. That So when you're in your purpose, it gets easier and easier to be authentic? I feel like it has for me, you know, because I am a, what I tell people all the time, I was a CEO of people pleasing. <laughs> I really do. Like, that's my title. Like, now it's not like, but for years, I'm 34. I think I finally figured out how not to people please at like 32. So that goes to show you, like, even as a child, like every choice and decision I made, I needed like some type of approval. Or if somebody told me no, that that didn't work or that wouldn't work, I would go against what I thought and go with what they said. Or if even though it may cost me my happiness, I was still doing things for other people. But when I realized, one, my value and who I was as a person and what I was built to do is when my purpose was able to, you know, just kind of overflow. And it just allowed me to be me, which I noticed that it's allowed me even for this podcast, just to be able to share my real, authentic, raw truth. And people are just like gravitating towards it. So I'm excited. Yes. So I think a lot of people, I love that. The CEO of people pleasing. Like, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you been watching Girlfriends, the reruns? Nope. Okay. I have. And I've been noticing Joan is like that people please us. Yeah. We relate. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yes, yes, yes. Totally relate. (laughs) So what was that like, you know, kind of to me, that sounds is like the, or when you weren't authentic, what was that like just emotionally, mentally to be the CEO of people pleasing? I mean, it was hard. Because like you hear and, you know, it's everybody says you're never going to please everyone or anything that you do. But like I was the one that was trying to please everyone. And I realized like I question a lot of like my bonds and relationships that I had in the past that I may have ended because somebody didn't like them or, you know, mostly because other people didn't like them or, you know, it just didn't sit in what the world that everybody had painted me into. They didn't fit into that world. So instead of having an answer to them, I was like, okay, one and done, then I can be have 40 people happy, you know? So I think it was emotionally taxing for me for a long time 
that was one of the things that, you know, since we're talking about me, people, please. And one of the things that led to my attempts at suicide is I felt like I had failed so many people in my decisions to kind of go a different way. And when I went that way, it felt like they didn't really gravitate towards me the way that they were. And I didn't even look at it as being like, this is very unhealthy, you know? And so emotionally, it led me to my first um, suicide, actually both of them, both suicide attempts were because of, I think, if I had to give it like one thing that was like the one thing and then had like all these little components that kind of led to just the final, like I'm done, you know? So I think it was very draining, lots of lack of sleep, staying in relationships that I probably should have left you know, and also leaving too soon. So I think it played a a major toll on my life until two years ago to where I was just like, you know, people are going to be happy either way. They're going to be sad either way. They're going to be mad either way. And you decide what you want to deal with. And so I decided to deal with the repercussions of being Bianca and her full authentic self. So, gosh, I'm just thinking about relationships and you know, you ending them too soon or being them too long because we're totally wired for connection and to be in relationships. So it's such a hard thing. Anyone who's listening and struggling with people pleasing, it's such a hard thing to get out of because that's how we're naturally wired to be. And it's like, well, what do I do? Um, And you feel like it's possible to please everyone. And then you just realize it's totally not because we all have our own issues. So yeah. Yeah. Once you get to realize that, and it's just been two years and I want to highlight that to anyone who is young out there, that it's not that you got it all figured out at 20. You know, I keep telling people like I'm 40 and there's still stuff that I'm figuring it out. So I think that's so good. What I tell people about that is, and what I learned in my journey is life was never birthed to be figured out. Like, we spend so much time to, and we miss life and we miss the things that we're supposed to actually get, the lessons we're supposed to learn. And I think that this is why we become people pleasers is because we're trying to figure everything out. And we want to know like, what comes next? What's this? What's that? And I'm like, what if we just stopped and experienced life and whatever that came with, like, it's going to come with, you know, roller coasters. You're not going to be happy all the time. You're not going to get that job all the time. Like you're not going to live in your life's fulfilling prophecy all the time. But you're experiencing everything that you need to prepare you for whatever it is that we're getting ready to do. So I kind of learned that, you know, I was like, why am I sitting around here trying to figure out one plus two, you know, when I just need to be stuck at one, you know, and see what comes after one. Well, two comes after, you know, and then you got to figure out well, what's two going to entail. Well, why am I trying to figure that out? Like I'm wasting time enjoying one because I'm trying to figure out two. So I kind of learned these things. Like, I mean, it's literally like a whole like 360 thing for me in this past two years. And I share that with my students all the time. I'm like, you have to realize that there's so many things that we as humans are programmed to do. Like you talk about relationships and connections. And I was actually single three years before I got with my guy that I'm with now. And it was a real revelation of I needed to be by myself because I was so connected to others that I missed the connection with self and doing the inner work that I needed to be authentic. You know, I wasn't being fake, you know, 
But I was living up to everybody else's expectations and not understanding what my own expectations were, which are far beyond what they even wanted. You know, like I was never going to be a doctor. You know, I wasn't going to be a lawyer. Like I really never wanted to be a therapist. I just wanted to knew I wanted to help people. And God has just kind of opened the door in many other avenues from shirts to restaurants and even being a therapist by day and, you know, having my nonprofit, like this is all of what God had, you know, but I missed all of that because I was worried about what the people had for me. So I just stopped figuring stuff out. I was just like, bring it, you know, (laughs) (laughs) well, backward as it comes. Yeah. So that's what I'd share. So tell us a bit about, because I know you didn't just get there and I, and I know it wasn't two years ago that you had your suicide attempt. So I just want to say that she didn't have this suicide attempt and then figured it all out after it's like, it's like a continual journey, but take us back to, cause you had two, right. Take us back to that place where you were that made you finally say, I'm done with life. Well, my first suicide attempt was 2011. That I kind of give people a time frame. It was 2011. I had actually just experienced the completion of suicide from my cousin in 2010, which I was actually on my way to get her. We we shared this love for tattoos, and she was home from school, and we were going to get tattoos. And I had just talked to her that morning, and she was all excited. And I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna leave work early," you know. And lo and behold, like on my way there, I got the call, and you know, my sister she texts me because I. I don't drive and talk on my phone. She texts me and my thing and my car went off and it said, um, Sydney shot herself. And I said, okay, well, what hospital is she at? You know, like it wasn't registering that she was actually gone. And she said, no, like she's not here. And I lost it. And, you know, after that, I started to blame myself, you know, and just to kind of go back a little bit, I've been a preacher's kid since I was seven. So just kind of put that into the people pleasing CEO, you know, trying to figure life out, trying to live up to what the church people wanted, trying to live up to what I wanted to make sure that my family had a positive light on them. You know, as a child, you think about these things, not even understanding the pressures of a child instead of you kind of missing that childhood, you have like something else you're having to focus on as a kid. You know what I mean? So you're missing even having the opportunity to grow up or be a child because you're wanting to protect your family. You're wanting to protect your parents, especially in the church, you know? So put that into the mix along with your cousin who had a great life. She was the only child. She grew up in a wealthy family. She was suffering from scoliosis real bad. And she found out that she was going to be paralyzed from the waist down. And she didn't want her parents to have to deal with that. Now, I found that out six years later from her suicide. I, I, I was told there was no no. They didn't know what happened. Okay, there was a whole note. She had already prepared them, and she told them the time place she was going to do it. So after she died, they found it and, like, burned it. And as somebody who had just talked to her and was like, I'm on the way, you start to blame yourself, like, why didn't I pick these up? You know, like, why didn't I hear it? And, and all this stuff, and you start trying to replay everything and nothing makes sense until six years later, you're getting it. Oh, there was a note. And this is what she was saying and stuff. So I dealt with that. And I was, I had gotten a serious car accident. Um, I got pulled out of a car right before it caught on fire and I lost my job. 
I lost my apartment. I lost everything. And I was like, well, on top of all that and dealing with family members and the rough dynamics with that, I was done. And I was in my apartment by myself. You know, I was like, I got the eviction notice. I was packing up my stuff. And I was like, this is it for me, you know? And because I felt I had failed my family, you know, because here I am losing my house and losing it. And I, I was too proud to call them and say, you know, because I want them to, I wanted them to be proud of me. You know, I was that kid that they were always gloating about it. You know, like, and here I am like stuff in my car, you know? So I think that that was like my major turning point was like, I don't want my parents to have to tell people like I'm homeless and, you know, or whatever. So at that point I was done and I took a hundred and something pills, I think. Yeah. And I had, I had done all the research, like I'd done everything. I was like, okay, I'm this weight. What would it do? You know? And it didn't work. So let me ask you this. Was it, because people always wonder this from people who have completed suicide. Mm -hmm. Was there anything anyone could have done to stop you? At that moment? No. Because I had, I had already became like, this is it, you know? I was very selfish in that moment because one of the things that I learned, it wasn't really even about death. You know what I mean? Like death in the physical. It was more about the death of the situation and the situations that was surrounding me. So I didn't want to die. I learned this now through going to therapy and realizing that it wasn't me. I wanted to be absent. I wanted all of the situations that were weighing me down to die. That is so powerful. Crazy revelation. Like I'm sitting in my therapist and she said, well, did you really want to die? And I said, no. I said, I just wanted everything around me to die. Like not people. I wanted all the situations to just Leave me alone so that I wasn't wearing and, and bearing all that on me because that's what was weighing me down was the situation, not Bianca as a human. And I was just like, I mean, she told me that. And I was like, wow. And I cried for days because I was like, you tried this twice and it didn't work for a reason. And that was the reason is that you wasn't, that's not what you wanted anyway. You just wanted everything around you to be gone. So that's crazy. Isn't it crazy? I know. That's so deep. I'm just like, so everyone, my eyes are just popping. You can't see my eyes, but I'm like, that makes so much sense. I think that's why I'm like. Isn't it like, aha, like light bulb. And here I am like, let's see, my first one's 2011. My second one was 2014. It's now 20, about to be 2021. And I had this session with her seven months ago. Again, we don't know everything. We don't have all the answers. Like, I just want just those questions, man. Like, you know, even as a therapist, I don't ask all the right questions because you get so engulfed in the moment. But all she asked me was, did you really want to die? I was like, no. I was like, no, like, no. She said, did you really dislike yourself? You know, these are the questions. She's like, I was like, no, I just kind of disliked having to not please everybody. But she said, were you happy? Like, these are the questions she's asking me. And I start taking notes because I'm a therapist, you know, and I'm like, we don't think about these things in the moment. You know what I mean? And yes, I'm a therapist. I tried to, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you're a therapist. You shouldn't have problems. Like, do they realize what our job does to us? Well, 
Yeah, no, that's not true. And unfortunately for me, I did have a therapist that completed suicide last year. Exactly. And that rocked my world. You know, even sometimes I think about it, it still does. But no, because we're just humans like everybody else. In a calling, because it's it's not a job. Because... Mm -mm. (laughs) No, (laughs) no. It's not a job. It's It's always been a calling for me. Because I really was going to school to be an obstetrician. But I realized that I, I can't deal with blood. Like, <laughs> and my dad was like, well, what are you going to do? I was like, well, I like to help people. So I'm going to just go to school for psychology. And not knowing, like, it really takes a lot to be in this field, know how much money you actually make and know what you have to deal with. Because I, I work for a company now through my nonprofit. They hired me over COVID to help. And I'm just like... You see a whole different realm of people that you probably never would have touched on telehealth, you know? And I got so like tired and like, I was, you know, I was like, I'm exhausted. I'm like, I can't listen to anybody else's issues. I need to focus on myself, crying more. I'm annoyed and it has nothing to do with nobody, but me just need to just say, I need a break. Yeah. I took that break. And even now I told them today, I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready to come back yet because it's just too much. Yeah, it's a lot. You know, and that was one of my revelations too. It's like learning how to say no, like, because that's a big, being the CEO of people pleasing, the word is, yeah, yes, I can. When do you need it by, you know? And now I'm like, no, I can't do that. And be okay in that no without like feeling bad because I used to feel bad when I would say no or when I would tell people, no, I just can't do it right now. You know, try me again in a couple of days. Now I'm just like, I say no with like pride because I'm like, you don't understand how much work it took me to get here and I don't feel bad about it. So, yeah, I love that. So um, I always tell people that when you say no, when you first start saying no, you do feel guilty, but that's not a reason to change your mind. That's not that's not why that's not what we're trying to do. So you did the first suicide attempt. And thankfully, you're still here. What made you make the suicide attempt the second time? Was it still related to the people pleasing again? Yeah, I think that was still because even after my first one, I didn't seek the proper help. You know, my first therapist I went to after that, I was very kind of shut off. So, of course, she couldn't really get deep into what was going on. And then I went to another one and she made me feel small. And then so I was like, okay, I'm done with the therapist right now. I'm going to just figure it out on my own. And then I moved to Atlanta. So it was a change. I was I moved. I was with a guy. He became abusive in 72 hours. He completely changed. We broke up. I was kind of stuck in Atlanta with no one because in two years I hadn't met anyone, you know, because he kind of kept me like in this bubble. And then I started dating another guy who was also abusive. And that was the straw right there. It was like, okay, because then you start to think about you know, where did your value really go or did you actually have it? And if you do have it, when's it going to show up so that you can just stop putting yourself in these type of situations? And that was my second time. And the second time around, it was, I just tell people it was a total revelation because I kept hearing, like, I truly believe in the spiritual realm and God and him speaking and him, you know, just really planning these things saying, I'm still here. You know, you may have thought that I forgot about you because you did this, but I haven't. And I need you to stay. And I kept hearing, not yet, 
not yet. And that's actually one of my t-shirts that I have. It says not yet semicolon because you know about the semicolon movement. And so I just, I just kept saying, okay, not yet, not yet. Like, what does this mean? Like, what is it? What is he trying to tell me? Who's trying to tell me something? And I just say, okay, this isn't it. You know, it's not yet. It's not my time to place that period where I have so much more stuff I have to do. I actually found a therapist who I'm with now, who I've been with for years. I talk to her every Thursday at 1.30 and we just have a connection. If she doesn't hear from me, she's calling. And, you know, lately she heard from me because I've been busy, but she's like, uh, hello. Like, but it was just something about her that connected me to her, you know, and I felt like she understood where I was because she also was a overcomer. And I didn't know that initially. It didn't open up till about seven months into it. Cause you know, we're taught to kind of not share in personal life as therapists. So she didn't really share until I think we kind of felt a sisterhood and she was just like, you know, I've, I've been there, you know? Wow. What a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. And she's dope. Like, I mean, I, you know, she doesn't take any new patients. Everybody's like, who you been going to? I'm like, well, she ain't taking no new patients. You know, she's, she's very focused on the little one she has, but just her being available. And I tell people all the time, like, don't stop at one therapist, like try some people out. You know, it's just like a dressing room, like go in, try them out. And then when you find one you like, stick with that one. But I still would say kind of try, you know, because you may have one therapist for one thing and one for another. I tell people all the time, you're crazy if you don't get the help. Like, why go to the dentist when you have a toothache or go to the foot doctor when your foot hurts? So you're going to get a physical every year. But what about your mental? That is the most important thing you have to take care of. But that you're crazy because you go to one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you get the stigma of yeah. you're crazy you go to a therapist. No, I'm actually fairly smart because I'm going to make sure that I'm good so I don't do anything crazy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> So take us, so you've kind of come through and you've been doing the work and continually doing the work because I'm just seeing you doing. What has, um, what was it like to overcome? Because I hear you use the word overcomer. Yeah. Is that, are you using overcomer instead of suicide survivor? Yeah. Okay. What made you actually decide to use it? Um, because I've overcome more than just that. Okay. Love it. So I feel like it's important for you to understand all the facets of your overcoming. And so my mantra is the biggest overcoming I've ever overcome is myself. Okay. Okay. So I, in that, there is multiple things. There's being a CEO, people pleasing, there's suicide attempts, there's major anxiety, panic attacks, like it's a bunch of things. And I, I'm an overcomer. And then there's this umbrella and all the things that I've overcome, you know, and I'm an overcomer to all the future things that are getting ready to occur because the negative stuff hasn't stopped. There's more to come. I just feel like I have better tools now. You know, I'm stronger. I can deal with situations because I've kind of seen, you know, people are like, well, it could be worse. I'm like, how do you know what people's worst is? So stop using that as a, to negate people's feelings. You know what I mean? Like I hate I, it. Every time I hear that, I stop people in their tracks. I'm like, stop there. Because you don't know what their worst is. Like my worst I could have dealt with was in an abusive relationship, but then here comes suicide, you know? So I'm like, you don't know. Like, no, I'm not homeless on the street. No, I'm not starving. But that doesn't mean I haven't gone through anything that doesn't make me an overcomer, you know? Because a lot of times I used to hear like, how could you do that when you had two parents who loved you? 
to married parents, to parents who raised you in a household. Like people think because you have two parents that your life is just perfect. Like I heard that all my life was like, even to this day, I hear people like, how could you do that when you or your parents been married this long? And I'm like, do you understand that even in that things happen? Yeah, the pressure. So like, even like you said, you was a pre-K kids, right? So there's pressure in that to perform, to be a certain way, to look a certain way, to have a certain faith, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. And that's unbelievably high pressure that you're having from a young age and you're in the public eye. So it's not necessarily, oh, just your parents and what happens in a household. It's all of it. Yeah, it's all. So let me ask you about that (laughs) because the faith perspective, right? Or experience. And I'm going to ask you, you can tell me it's not right, but I'm, I'm thinking that you got a lot of backlash. Yep. Being a Christian, how could you commit suicide? Even how could you be even on this mental health? How, why would you talk about suicide? You're just going to, all of that. Yeah. Hear it all. <laughs> Which is crazy, but anyway. Because um, I'm so about doing things, what God called you to do. And I'm definitely that person that people look at me like, did God? Yeah, he did. And I know his voice and I know exactly who he is and his character. And yes, I'm going to do that. And so I feel like there's this pressure sometimes, especially for black women to do it perfectly or to have this religious perfection. So what was that? Oh God. Well, you know, you're all taught to pray about it. So when you're taught to pray about things, this is one of the things that I talk about in my book um, is that was one of the reasons why I didn't tell my parents what I was going through, because I knew that would be the first thing they would tell me is to go pray about it. And it was something so much bigger that needed something else. Do I trust that God and my prayers are keeping me, have kept me? Absolutely. But I also know that mental health is real. Is not a devilish thing. It's not, it's actually in the physical, just like, like I tell people, it's just like going to brush your teeth. It's going to the dentist. It's going like, why would he create doctors? If, if you say God heals all things. So you're okay with going to the doctor when you're sick and saying, Oh, it's okay for them to go to the doctor, but it's not okay for us to go to therapy when our brain doesn't feel well. It's like, how can we win here? Would you say God heals all things? He does. And I feel like even in that moment, he healed me and gave me the strength to say, I'm still here with you. Because I think that was one of the things I was challenged with, even in relationships was, was I forgotten about because of what I did? Because that's what the church puts on you is, you know, you're doing a devilish thing. Like I, about my cousin, like I heard so many of our relatives, I'm like, oh, she's going to hell. I was like, how do you know that? How do you know that she hasn't made peace with God on her situation? Like a sin is a sin is a sin, you know, but because she decided to take her own life, she's going to hell. She doesn't have a second chance and she's not worthy of God's grace. I mean, I was literally going at that with these people. And I say the same, same thing for myself. I'm a product of God's grace and his grace is in the physical. He sends you people that helps you. He sends you therapists. He, he sends you doctors. He sends you lawyers. Like he sends you people to help you in the physical. But he's also working on your mental as well, you know, but why would this job be available if it wasn't created by God, just like any other job? I I never understood why we were looked upon like that. And that's why I push so hard for my movement, 
is because I tell people all the time, here's my story. And yet here I am still standing. And this is all that I went through. And yes, I'm still helping people because nobody wants to hear about all the good stuff that's happened to you. They want to hear about all the negative things and how you overcame them. And that's where the overcomer came from. Hmm. Hmm. That's so true. That's so true. Because because everyone's so quiet about it, about that stuff that you're struggling with. Like we're privy. Like I always tell people and I always talk about it on the show that like I talk about a lot of stuff because of our privilege and our ability and the honor that we in people's lives. And we see that messy stuff that nobody's talking about it. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think the last time I was shocked, like more and more, like your shock level just like rises and rises with humans. (laughs) So like, I know I have to try when someone's telling me a story, I have to be like, Oh my gosh, because my shock level is like so super high now, but we just get this and I think that's the, that's the calling, right? That we get into this and we get to see that. And God gives us this, this ability to see that and see these experiences and then heal it. But I do feel like sometimes it is a battle in the Christian faith, especially in the black community, um, already in a community, mental health tough. And then now you bring faith and God into it. It's a novel battle, but it's one. And the crazy part about it is two years ago, I spoke in front of 50 ministers, right? I was just like in this mode of like, okay, now God, now what? You know, I have this nonprofit, it's doing well, expand my territory, put me back to what scarred me the most. That was my prayer for like a month and a half. And I spoke in front of major ministers of clergy of major churches. And after I spoke, the... Uh, Minister of Ebenezer, I think it's Ebenezer. Yeah, I think he got up there. He talked to me about the fact that he had relatives who tried the same and that being a minister, how many times they see, because you know all these people are relying on you for their salvation. I said, so you sound like me. Like what makes you as a minister of the gospel any different from me? Because people are relying on me to make sure that they're saved for the next day. You know, like I may not have a place to put them or, you know, give them biblical scriptures to put them. I mean, I can, but I'm not a Christian therapist, you know, so I'm going to keep it the way that my theoretical orientation is. But at the same time, I'm looked at as somebody that people come to to save, like save me from just right now. Save me from this situation. Like these people open up to you more than they open up to their own families. I said, so how are you any different from me? So. We had a meeting of 50 male ministers and then myself. And I'm talking, you need to do more because a lot of your congregation is struggling with their mental. And from the pulpit, you're telling them that it's a sin or it's devilish or you got to change it. I said, because they're coming to hear more than the gospel. They're coming for healing and the healing always starts in the mind. So I've been trying to work on like, getting something to where I can integrate mental health and the church because it's important. Like just as much as we spend time in school, we spend as much time at church. You know, we're relying on this one man that we go listen to for two hours to tell something that's going to click. That's going to get us from Sunday to Sunday. So as a therapist, I have somebody that my patients come in 
I'm telling them something that's going to get them from Monday to Monday. How are we any different again? Yeah, we're not. We're not. We're not. We're not. But it's going to be an evolution of, I think that now the way that Christianity is going, I feel like it's evolutionized a whole lot more than what I was used to, you know, because I was in church with stockings and, and heels and dresses past the knee. And, you know, we don't wear pants. Women don't wear pants. That's what I grew up in. Now I go to church and I'm in jeans. I'm in, you know, and I feel still the same person. You know what I mean? But I couldn't wait to break out from that, you know, typical. And nothing's wrong with the Baptist church. Nothing. It, it taught me and molded me. But I had to find my own identity within church. And I wasn't that everyday as an adult. I'm not that everyday Sunday goer. I worship in my home. You know, I have prayer and worship in the morning. You know, I have my time with God because God's not at church. God's outside with me. You know, he's out and he's wanting me to work in the community. He's wanting me to bring him out of the four walls. And so people who tell you, oh, you don't go to church every Sunday. No, but I'm still a servant because I'm serving the people. I'm still giving the people. I'm being a light and showing people who God can save. Right. Because I try to take away the ultimate thing he gave us life. And look at me. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the stories that need to be told and heard because that's where Jesus is ultimately, right? Yeah. Always with the the ones that need the healing. They're the ones that need to know me. Yeah. They're the ones that need to be healing in whatever way it it comes is the way it comes for each for each person. Um so yeah, yeah, I love that. So um See, I knew we would just go like. <laughs> we have the same lane. <laughs> How could <can> we not? <laughs> so I guess my last question before we kind of um, wrap up with this overcoming, um, which I love, like I'm an overcomer, I'm overcoming. Mm-hmm. Where do you feel like you're being led in it now? What are you kind of doing with it now, with that? Well, right now, I'm still really, really, really trying to identify where I'm going with this. Like I said, I don't try and figure things out. I just kind of go with with what I'm led to do. I'm very much in heavy prayer on a daily for just a God. You know, I just kind of like a little key point, you know, Lord, give me north, south, east, west, and I'll go. But my main mission is to teach people, and this is, I think you've heard me say this before, is broken crayons still color. And that's to teach people that you weren't really broken. Like we have so, we've been so programmed to say we've been broken. And I really, I was telling myself for that so long. And I was allowing people to label me as broken for so long. And I said, I got to change the trajectory of this, right? I have to change how people look at themselves because broken things are thrown away. You'll never go back and get them again. But bent things can be repaired. So your situations, when you are not, you're not broken because if you're still standing, you're just bent. You may need to readjust your crown here and there. You may need to dust off yourself, but you're still here. So you're not broken because broken things are are gone. We're done with them. If it doesn't work anymore, it's gone, but you're still standing. So you're only bent. So I tell people broken crayons still color. And I do this in one of every speaking engagement I go to, especially with young girls, because they see it visually. I bring a crayon. And I bring a piece of paper and I say, write something negative about yourself on the front with the whole crayon. 
And I say, okay, now break it in half. Now write something positive on the back with the broken pieces of that crayon. And I said, did it still work? I said, so even in your wholeness, you could think negatively about yourself. But even with your bent pieces and broken pieces that still operate, you're able to tell yourself something positive. Mm. So I think my mission in this life is to show people that we're just a community of broken crayons that still work. Mm, I love that. Even when I'm thinking, like my mind's going when you're talking, because I'm thinking when you think of the image of broken, it you do feel, if I'm broken and we label ourselves as broken because I'm a lover of words and I believe in the power of words um, because this world, world was created with God's word, is if I see myself as broken and I keep saying that, there's no hope. Like you're totally helpless and I can see how I'm just imagining how weighed down that feels to constantly say, I'm just broken. I'm just so broken. And you're like, every time I do this, I'm broken versus bent where I could be molded and moved. That's so. Right. I think about when a glass breaks, right? Shatter pieces. The first thing you do, you go get a broom, you sweep it up and you throw it in the trash. Now, if you find something that's been or, you know, you may be missing a top or something like that. Once you find that top, it goes back on. You get that same function. So I think that we are big on word play. And I learned this like this isn't people who are listening like I did not learn this. But two years ago of how important speaking life into self is like those two words. I am like every morning I wake up and tell myself I'm a queen, regardless if I had a great day or not. I am. It's two of the most powerful words you speak over yourself. So are you going to continue to say I am broken every day or you're going to change it to I am bent? And there's so much room for growth because in a clay mold, you can mold it, you can shape it, you can do all sorts of things with being bent, but broken, you're, you're done. And you're telling yourself you're giving up on self. You're giving yourself like you're giving into your vulnerability. I think that you being bent actually creates so many levels of strength. Because you haven't given up on yourself. So you're wanting to use every day to build on that strength platform to say, I may have been, you know, when we're born, we're born on a very solid foundation. That can be one parent, two parent, whatever. They're building a foundation for you, whether it was cracked or not. At some point, all the words that people throw at us and all the words that we speak over ourselves knocks that foundation down. Right? But that foundation was solid from the beginning. So even though you're being thrown bricks at you every day, you use those same bricks to rebuild. Same bricks to rebuild the foundation that was already established for you. Who are we to tell ourselves that we don't deserve that? Who was I to tell myself that I didn't deserve that? And that, if you ask me about my plan going forward, that is my plan to teach people the importance of getting back on your solid foundation because it was built rather you had a mom, you had a dad, grandma may have raised you, but you had a foundation that either said, I'm going to follow in this foundation and keep building on this, or I'm going to knock some crap down and I'm going to build it on what works for me. That's where the game changes. I love that. That reminds me of um, gratitude that, when we're thankful and we see what we have, that we see that we have a foundation, we begin to build that hope. When we begin to see who we are and what we can be grateful for, and we can figure out those small things that we do have versus focusing on the lack, that 
you're like, oh, okay, I can, I can overcome. I can, I can, I can do this. I do have something. Cause sometimes we feel like we have nothing if we're broken. I love this. Oh my gosh. Isn't she just so amazingly? <laughs> Thank you. That's why my clothing line is called the glory story. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you said a lot, but I mean, if you do, you don't, it's fine. But do you have anything that you want to leave with people or the audience to kind of know? Um, just know that, you know, at the end of the day, everything that you go through is necessary for your growth. And it's not, life is not Skittles and rainbows. It didn't come with the life for dummies handbook. Just experience life the way that you see it. Don't be a CEO or don't build a camp in your head. Just allow yourself to live and embrace that every day is a new day to get it right. I love that. Thank you so much. So how can we, and where can we shower you with love and um, also get your book? Um, it's actually on my website. It's um, www.biancadaniel.org. It has my book. I actually wrote two books and I have my clothing line on there as well. It's the Glory Story Apparel. And one of them actually say overcomer on them. They say overcomer, chosen, built for this, not yet. And I love Jesus and my therapist. I love it. <laughs> so all that's on there. Um, and then, you know, if anybody's in Atlanta, we're going to be opening our new restaurant, the Chill Spud, where, you know, it's just going to be a, a compilation of great vibes. You know, I feel like every time I meet people, it's just a, it's a good vibe. You know what I mean? So I want people to come out when it opens. Just follow the page. Um, my Instagram, follow me. I do respond. I do interact. So, and I really appreciate you for having me today. Yes. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great one. Bye. Wow. Wasn't that so powerful and just so insightful? So many gems. So, so, so many gems. You probably have to go back, listen again and take notes. So just a reminder, I will definitely put in the show notes if you were triggered by anything and I'll just put some information about suicide, you know, thoughts or how you could deal with family members and I'll put in as much information as I can in the show notes. Please do not forget to tag us in the podcast as you are sharing this. Please shower Bianca, the other Bianca with as much love as you can, just for sharing her story and being on here and her experiences and her wisdom. So thank you so much. As always, please do not forget to rate, subscribe, and leave a review for the podcast. Thank you so much. If you connected with what you just heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You can stay connected by following our Instagram, Authentic Wednesday Podcast, and visiting our website, AuthenticWednesday.com. Remember, authenticity is a journey, not a destination.